All right. Good morning, everyone. Was that well, that was a great time of worship, was it not? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, I guess so, if you want to say so. Okay, all right. Was that not a great time of worship? All right, that's more convincing. Help me out a little bit this morning. I know I only woke up at 4.30 or something like that, but I mean, you guys are probably just coming out of, you know, just waking up, but... Uh, but it's great to have you guys. We started last week um, a series called Empowered Prayer. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the passion for prayer, the importance of connecting with God. We saw the life of Nehemiah. And, uh, and so we were able to see how his passion grew through his prayer time, especially wanting to see um, God's hand in his life going back to Jerusalem And seeing God grant him an opportunity to go back by allowing the king um, the opportunity for him uh, to go back to Jerusalem. And the king honored his his request by returning back. So we wanted to uh, talk this week about the priority of his presence. And so if you're here for the first time, I wanted to just bring attention to it. There is an outline I hope you received You'll want to follow along as we uh, begin to do this study this morning because if you're one who may be like me, likes to fill in a lot of blanks, well, there are a lot of blanks to fill in this morning. So uh, get ready, get your pen, and you'll have your outline in front of you. You know, I wanted to share a quick little amusing story with you about a farmer who told his wife as he tumbled in and out of bed, uh, he he was saying, I have to plow tomorrow. And the next morning, as the story goes on, he, he started to lubricate the tractor, but he needed oil, so he went to the shop to get it. On the way, he noticed that the chickens had not been fed. He started for the crib to get some corn, but he found some sacks there, which reminded him that the potatoes needed sprouting. He headed toward the potato pit. En route, he spotted the woodpile and remembered the shortage of kindling at the house. But he had to chop it first, and he had left his axe in the chicken coop. As he went for his axe, he met his wife, who was feeding the pigs. With surprise, she asked, have you finished the plowing, have you finished the plowing already? Finished, the farmer bellowed. I haven't got time to get started on it yet. Well, what's the point of that story? The point is that he started the night before saying, I have to plow the next day, finding himself going through three different distractions. And when asked the question, did you plow yet today? He was like, I don't even have any time for that. I don't know about you, but that sometimes feels like my life. I feel like my wife's laughing because I'll start thinking I have to do something. And then the next day comes and I went nowhere near that item that I planned to do. But the question is, does that seem like our prayer life at times? We have every intention to start praying. We even have it down, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord in prayer at this time. Sometimes we set up a time saying, every morning I'm going to get with God. And then the day changes, distractions come. At the end of the day you realize, well, wait a minute, whatever happened to my time with God? It happens too often. As you get a little bit older, it may even happen more often. But um, the question is, what does it mean to prioritize? 
So I looked up some definitions. It's nothing specifically from the Bible, but just a, a handful of definitions. So I wanted to read them to you. To designate or treat something as more important than any other thing. The key words would be emphasize, concentrate on, put first, focus on, fast track. So what's the first thing that you do in the morning, millennial? Do you grab for your phone? Do you wonder what's on the new feed of Facebook? Who liked your post or not? What about Instagram? You're probably like, what about Facebook? That's for your older people. Okay, well, how about Instagram or Snapchat? Whichever media that you want to jump for, do you find yourself grabbing for your phone because this is your lifeline? For us older people, we're having that problem too. Uh, I tend to kind of turn my phone on to find out, because see, I shut it off every night because I want it to charge. I want to save my battery for, for the long haul. And when I do, I turn it on and I'm close to the world until I wake up in the morning and then I find out what's happening. But what, are, what about you? Maybe you're one of those younger people or older people that needs that coffee machine and you need to get your coffee ready, ready. And you have it auto set and everything and you're ready to smell the coffee. Years ago we had that old commercial, do you smell the coffee? And these coffee commercials, although I wouldn't smell that kind of coffee when they were referencing that coffee because I'm a coffee snob. So I need good coffee to wake me up in the morning. Or maybe you're one of those... Um, Wonderful husbands or wives that just loves to kiss their spouse before you wake up in the morning or before you get out of bed. Give them a kiss and say, good morning, sunshine. Maybe you're a morning person and you just love to do that. I happen to be one, and, um, but that's not usually what I do. I get up and I run for my phone. So what does prioritizing really, really mean? There's another key. It's expediting. In our society... We tend to do that which is most important, the tyranny of the urgent. In the White House, um, every administration prioritizes their agenda, but when unexpected events occur, they need to redirect their priorities in order to deal with the emergent item on the list. It could be a hurricane, a tornado, it could be a shooting, it could be something, but their agenda is then switched where they're focused on something. 9-11 changed our world, and it changed President Bush's agenda. And so we have to look at what's, what's the idea of making something priority in our lives. One other definition, determine the order for dealing with or according to a relative importance. So sometimes we have to change our priorities as we set them. We may have to change them not only within the day or because something emergent comes up, but it could be even something far greater than that. Our lives could change by a diagnosis. Our lives can change because a family member passes. Um, our lives can change because a family member gets sick. Whatever the case, it's relative at times. But then I ask, what, are, what could be our list of priorities? For you who are spouses, you need to spend time with your spouse and your children. Or you're spending time in the checkbook to make sure you have finances. You're spending, but you're not sure if you're making. You know, my mother will probably, I don't know if I recall her saying this too often, but I make fun of Seth if this is what she would say. She would, I make it the money. I don't spend the money. I save the money. You know what I'm saying? And that's her priority. That was my father's priority, counting those coins again. But that was his priority. 
And if we tried to take a little money from the jar, he would sit there and count the coins. But that was his priority. And that's not a bad priority. You just, it could be excessive. But finances are important because we want to be good stewards. Or maybe a priority simply is taking your kids to sporting events. <laughs> you're jumping in, you're in a car, and all you do is you're a taxi driver. You're just always driving someone to an event, especially children. Or maybe you enjoy cleaning your house. How many of you enjoy cleaning your house? Raise your hand. Oh, boy, there's nobody. Nobody likes cleaning their house. You all live like a pigs. Are you in a command? Don't you like cleaning your house? Come on, Eric, help me out, bro. You like cleaning your house. There you go. Okay. Eric and I have found something in common as friends. We like cleaning house. Um, but sometimes you just, uh, you like, you know, just like pulling kids off from fighting each other. You know, you say, you go to that room. You go to that room. You get tired. You have to just spend your time making sure kids go in the different directions because they're always bickering and complaining. Or maybe you just like to go to the grocery shop and get sugars, sugar for the kids and for yourself. So it might be like an ice cream run or some cookie run or something like that. By the way, this morning I, I was blessed. Uh, somebody who doesn't even attend our church, there's a person who attends our church who has a friend in New York, and she brought cookies from New York to me. I was like, Italian bakery, very nice. You know, this is very nice. So I love my cookies. So sorry, but as you can tell, I enjoy cookies. But now... Spending time might be relaxing and watching TV. You might just enjoy sitting on a couch or recliner chair and watching TV. Do you know that there's a report saying that U.S. American adults are watching more than five hours of TV a day? The average is about 35 and a half hours a week, slightly 77 days per year that we're watching TV. Wow. Now, if you're doing that or more, then you have to... Set your priorities different. Uh, we have to ask ourselves a question. So here's another one. Is there a correlation between time and priorities? I think there is. I think what we do often or most is what sets a priority in our lives. And it's important for us to understand how is that for believers? What should be our priority? And so what, what, is, what is God's priority? I mean, when we're looking at the priority of his presence, what are God's priorities? I mean, if we're asking that question, so I want you to just uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. And as you're turning there, we're going we're gonna to find quickly what are God's priorities. And one of, one of those priorities is, is quite simple. God intended to reveal himself through his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. We understand the Missio Dei, which means the sending of the Son of God. Forty times in the book of John, it says the Father sent the Son. So the Apostle John, when he was writing, he was emphasizing the importance of why Jesus came. And the importance of how he too, when he was on earth, was praying often to the Father. In fact, in every dealing that he had, whether the choosing of the twelve, whether it was at Gethsemane before he had to go on the cross... Whatever the case may be, we even see in John chapters 14 through 17, we see intercessory prayer of Jesus himself. Jesus made it a priority to communicate with the Father because of the beauty of the Trinity. But if that is God's priority, and it was even the Son's priority through the power of the Holy Spirit, the three in one, why is it that Christians today pray on average about four to five minutes a day? Now, you may stop and say, wait a minute, Pastor Bruno, I actually pray more than five minutes a day. 
I give that to you. You're one of those who pray more than five minutes, but then what does that say for the others who are praying less than a minute or two a day? And see, that's what we have to ask, because if we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God in this church, we cannot do it based on what we do on Sunday mornings. It won't carry us. We've got to be a light for the kingdom of God outside of these four walls, and we've got to start with prayer. Prayer is vital. It's foundational. It needs to be established in the people of God. If you and I are not prioritizing our lives in prayer, we can't expect God to do work. If you expect God to be in your life working in a mighty way, don't expect it without prayer. If you're not spending quality time with him, you're not going to hear from him. Ravi Zacharias, one of our leading apologists in our, in our society today, said this, I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we have put him. We have kept him at a distance, and then we are in need and call him in, in prayer. We wonder where he is. He is exactly where we left him. See, that's the question. We spoke about passion last week. We spoke about the importance of having passion. We cannot expect God to be at work if we're not spending quality time with him. My Heart's Christ Home is in a wonderful little booklet. I encourage you to read it. It's about 10 pages or so. At best, I mean, if you get a little booklet, it's just, it gets right to the point. There's an individual where Jesus is sitting in a room waiting for the individual to come and spend time with him. And every time that individual sees Jesus in his secret hiding place in his room, in his quiet time, he keeps walking by with all these excuses. Oh, I'll be there, Jesus. I'll get there. Okay, hold on. Wait, hold on. I'm really busy. The Tyrion of the urgent. I got to get something done, but I'll get with you tomorrow. The day goes by. Okay, Jesus. And Jesus is just sitting there wanting that quality time. Spending that time with his people because he created us for that. The beauty of sometimes what we don't gather is we're not prioritizing ourselves. And so it's important for us to understand that God is doing that work. So let's just look real quickly here. If you have your outline in front of you, your sheet there, please, it's, let's, let's get ready to fill it up. First point is this, how does God What's God's priorities? One is revealing his son to the world. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It's real Real simple. Years ago in the Old Testament, last days, forefathers and prophets, that's how God revealed himself. He revealed himself through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the prophets, revealing himself through a, a Messiah yet to come to save his people from their sin. That's why when Moses in, in Exodus 12, when he, he saved them and they celebrated the Passover, he redeemed his people from Egypt, a foreign land, and the blood that was placed on the posts was to redeem his people now in these last days, referencing to the church age today, 21st century, but even from the first century, the last days talking about the importance of how God reveals himself. But he revealed himself in the past, in the Old Testament, through historical times, locations, cultures, and situations. He even spoke through exhortations and dreams and visions and theophanies and Christophanies and stories and prophets. To God revealed himself through his creation. But years ago, we're a prophet. Today, we know it's only through Christ, through his son. 
Verse 2, spoken to us, special revelation by his son, making this clear that the superiority of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews is the theme throughout it. To highlight that Jesus is the son of God. Yeshua, Curios, Lord, almighty God. And the connection of the two, making it clear that there's a continuity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is vital because he's the heir, the Son. And so it's important for us to gather that that's what the author of Hebrews was saying about what the God of Israel, the Father, was revealing his Son to the world. Secondly, this, as you look at this, he, rep- he was representing his essence through his son. Again, look at verse 3. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 3 as we look at that together. Verse 1 and 2. But then into 3 as we were, I'm going to read 3 as you see verse 1 and 2 on the screen. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, the word exact imprint of his nature is, is very important because what that word means is an expression image of his person. It's engraving on a wood or metal, a branding on an animal hide, or an impression of, on clay or stamp image on a coin. It's kind of similarly to when a, a parent sees themselves through their children, physical appearance. Now, you can't deny my daughter Maria with my wife Joya. You can't. Um, I am the father, by the way, and um, it's important to understand that um, sometimes my oldest daughter is mistaken to be my wife, but, but also my wife is mistaken to be my daughter. Now, either I'm looking young or my daughter's looking older. I don't know. I'll get for you to figure that out, but I think she's looking young and I'm looking older. But the idea is that when we see our children, grandchildren, when I see grandchildren, this morning I saw Pastor Dennis's grandchildren, cute little boys, man, cute, just real cute. Saw a little Italian cucciolotto, like just a little Italian boy, Nicholas. And it's just a cute face, but I saw a little bit of Kathy there. Saw a little bit of Dennis there. I know a little bit about Jared, I've seen his, and I, I know a little bit about their daughter and seeing their faces, and I see all that. But the image, it's beautiful to see that. And that's what this word is really meaning, the exact imprint. So Jesus himself is the exact representation of the Father. That's the God-man, the incarnate Christ. Everything you see in the Son, you see in the Father. The Father, you see the Son. The uniqueness, it's like when we see in the scriptures the form of godliness or image of godliness, the likeness of God. That's what he's highlighting. So it's important to understand that his priorities was representing the essence through his son. Third, he's reflecting his glory through his son. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. You know, when I had a quiet time one time and I saw in John chapter 11, 1 through 16, I saw the story of Lazarus. And when we see the story of Lazarus that he died and Mary and Martha came to Jesus and he wept. But later in the chapter, what Jesus said was, he, he made it clear, he said to this, he said, this sickness will not lead to death but to God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, was Jesus lying because later he did die? 
But he said specifically in the situation, the glory of God was, see, the Jewish people saw the imagery of the resurrection of the son as being abstract, but Jesus had to show something physically that he can resurrect someone from the dead. See, God wants to take something in our lives that seems impossible to do to bring glory to himself. So you and I, when we go through difficult times and trials and tribulations, God's keeping it there specifically to show forth his glory. But what we have to understand is that the glory of God is not shown when everything goes well. Times he does allow that grace. But he also allows the grace that going through difficult times is when we learn to grow with each other, learn through relationship, learn through with our spouses, learn with our children through hard times. That's when we grow and understand the glory of God because God allows impossible situations to be possible. Because, see, we can't think logically here. Because God doesn't work in the logical. He works in the spiritual logical. Now, you'll say, wait a minute, that sounds like an oxymoron. Well, maybe it does. Because God doesn't work in that logical. It's got to be spiritual, meaning it doesn't make sense in the logical. So when you and I look at things in our lives and saying, that's impossible, not with God. All things are possible with God. The question is, do you and I believe it? If we're spending time with the Lord and prioritizing our lives with him, we'll believe it. When we spend that quality time with God, we'll believe it. But we have to understand that God is revealing himself through the glory and Jesus himself of the very essence, the nature, the perfect imprint. God in flesh is God the Father is bringing glory to the Son and the Son is bringing glory to the Father and the Spirit brings glory to Jesus. It's a beautiful, harmonious unity of Trinity. I get excited about that. When I read these scriptures, I get moved. I get moved with excitement. No song can do anything to me what the scriptures can do to me. And no song can do to me with the Spirit of God when he's moving in a mighty way in my heart and stirring me up. Because it's the word of God and the power of God that moves us through, the, through his word and through the Spirit. Now, as we look at this last thought here, too, in in God's priorities, we see resting in his authority upon his son. Uh, We see this, too, as well. It says um, that in verse 3 into verse 4, if I could read that to you, his radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature as he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And as he sits down at the right hand of the majesty of God or the Father on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So really what that is is that he is superior over angels, Moses, prophets, Melchizedek. I mean, Jesus is superior. Isn't it priority for us to spend time with him? He is the son of God. You know, I I have to look at this other scripture. When I think about that it is finished, he sits at the right hand of the father. I think of another scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28. Because when I think of this, and you're going to think I'm crazy, I think about the eternal subordination of Christ. Because he's submissive to the father. Yet exact nature, essence, 100% God, yet in his humility as a servant of, of God, servant of Christ, he, he goes before the Father with subjection. But the Father subjects everything under his footstool. He's in authority. So as the Father, as the hierarchy gives him the authority, he goes back and gives the authority back to the Father in honor and grace and glory to the Father. And li- li- just look, li- listen to this verse here. 
in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, God has put all things in subjection under his feet, Jesus. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him. You see, the son will be subordinate to the father who put all things in subjection under him. The harmonious unity that exists there, the beauty that when Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, he's not less than God, nor is he less than his subordination. They're working together in unity. What does that say for us? As a people of God, what does that say? How do we work together? See, when we see Jesus and we see the Father and we see God, we see his priorities, we have to understand, too, that Christ is the firstborn over all creation. You know, Jehovah Witnesses, they see this as he's created of Jehovah. He is not connected Jehovah. He's created. He's a God, a subordinate God, one who is over here on the side, kind of a subsidiary God. But if you need him, you can turn to him, but Jehovah's the only God. And the idea of it being that Jehovah's only God, Jehovah Witness now believe that Jesus is created, but that's not what it's saying here. The firstborn simply means preeminence, rank, creator. You know, if you ever want to talk to a Jehovah Witness and have a verse, let me give you one. You have Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Matthew 3, 3. And it says in their Bible, Jehovah, make way for Jehovah. In Matthew 3, 3, that prophecy is fulfilled. You know who that Matthew 3, 3 is talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes away. He is Jehovah. When John the Baptist is making way, he's making away for Jehovah, who is Jesus. They can't, they're stumped at that one. They don't know how to answer that. They, they see the connection, but they call on an elder. If you ever get him down at your doorstep, where's the elder? We need the elder. He needs to come over here and talk to this man, because they're stumped. But God, in his mercy, he is preeminent, the creator, Jesus himself. And the Jews could not gather to fathom that. And he is, he was the first priority of the Trinity to come and die and the beauty of his priorities. So what are, what are Christ's priorities? What do we see that here? As we look at this, what are Christ, Christ's priorities are simply this. He's helping us through our temptations. Look with me to chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 18. Chapter 2 of Hebrews 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God is helping us through our temptations, through our struggles, through our difficulties, through our trials. And even God, when we are tempted to please the flesh, our desires, our dreams, our agendas, our vision, when we want to do our own thing, when selfishness flows in and we're tempted to walk away from God, God is sending his son. He's an advocate for us, stands next to the Father, seated at the right hand of God, and he stands in and he's our advocate, and he's there to help us through our struggles. You know, what are some of these temptations? Well, I checked it, and it says one of the top five self-reported temptations in America. Listen to this from September 2004 from Barna Group. 60% of Americans are anxious and fearful. Do you ever know that 85% of what we worry about or fear never happens? 60% deal with procrastination. We like convenience, so we procrastinate a bit. 55, deal with gluttony, because we like comfort. 
I like to eat. We all like to eat. Pastor Dennis even said, what is the one thing we enjoy doing? We all like to eat. 45% deal with overuse of social media because we need acceptance. We just need one more like. We just need someone to check out what we're doing. It's helpful. I think it's great. I get to see people from when I was in high school or even in elementary school. But sometimes we're longing for acceptance. 51% deal with laziness. See, I, I don't think it's laziness. I think it's the fear to fail. I think a lot of us, we struggle with the fear to fail is because we're always struggling with the idea that when we are, we're, we're not risk takers, we're afraid to fail because sometimes we're introverted and sometimes we're extroverted. It doesn't matter which one you are. Sometimes you don't even know where you're at. You're in between. But whatever the case may be, I believe that sometimes we're lazy or we're just not willing to do it because we're afraid to fail. And I think that we've got to ask the question, are we going to take a chance and fail rather than fear. And so I think that's important for us. So all the generations, as we look at it, Barner polled about these things. One of them was selfishness. So two, what we want to do is we understand, too, that God sympathizes with us through Christ. He is an advocate that he did not sit or sin or stand uh, and authority. So, so he's an advocate for us, objectively and subjectively. Uh, like the parents, whenever a parent goes through a struggle, they can sympathize with their children. It's important for us to understand. So as we look at Hebrews chapter 4, for we did not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect as tempted as we are yet without sin. So it's important for us to understand that and to gather that. And then the last thing is that he's interceding on our behalf. And so he's interceding as we look at some of these scriptures. It says, consequently, he is able, Hebrews 7.25, to save us to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he, has always, um, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is always interceding. Look at Romans um, chapter 8, verse 27. He searches Hearts knows what's in the mind of Christ because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is interceding. And then we see that Jesus, who it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? See, God is interceding. Jesus is interceding to the Father. He's our advocate. He stands as an advocate, as a, as a lawyer, and God who's a father who's judge, he stands there and he, he, he's saying, these are, these are one of ours, Father. These are one of ours. And as we struggle and as we go through difficult times, as we're praying, as we're crying out to God, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. So whatever you're going through, whatever struggle, whatever difficult time, whatever introspective thing that you're working through, when you're vulnerable and you're transparent and you're afraid to share your fears and your failures because it's weakness, God is saying, wait a minute, I have an advocate who's, who's standing right next to me, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's Jesus. And so it's important to understand that God has sent his son to intercede on our behalf. So then we ask this question, what's, if that's Christ's priorities, when we pray, what's our priorities? Well, I think one is intimacy. Drawing near to God so we can draw near to him. See, 
you may ask that question and say, wait, does that make any sense? What do you mean that if I draw near to God, I'll draw near to others? Well, here's the thing. When we're vulnerable and transparent, when we're sharing our fears and our struggles and our difficulties, God is helping us to grow, to love him, to enjoy him, to walk with him, to grab a hold of who he is and what he's doing in our lives. And when we grow closer to God in intimacy and have that relationship that's close, tightly knitted, we then share that with others. So when I grow closer to God, I'm going to be more vulnerable and transparent and share all my difficulties and my trials and my tribulations and my struggles. I'm going to share with others where I'm hurting. Because if God's ministering to me, then I have the confidence to share that with someone else. But if I'm not spending time with God, if I'm only spending one or two minutes of prayer, I can't expect much from God. And if I'm not spending time with him and not drawing near to him and I'm not drawing close to him, I'm not going to talk to anyone else about my problems. Because I'm not even talking to God about them. So if I'm not talking to God, I'm not going to talk to anyone else, then how can Christianity truly grow? How can you and I be in unity and growing together for the kingdom of God so that the church can make it? How in the world are you going to reach someone who's lost? (laughs) I mean, how are you going to reach someone or an I if you and I are not spending that quality time with God? What do we have to share? If we don't spend it with him, we're sure enough not going to spend it with someone else. In fact, what we do is we just end up going towards selfishness. In fact, selfishness destroys intimacy. Think about it in a relationship. Any relationship. Selfishness destroys intimacy. Want to destroy marriage? Get selfish. Live in selfishness. Want to destroy a friendship? Look for what you can get out of it. Cheat, steal, work out everything you can to be ministered to, but don't minister to anyone. Let me ask you a question. When you come to church, do you expect to be ministered to, or are you ministering to someone else and saying, God, use me to minister to someone today? Are you praying before you come here and saying, God, I pray you would let me be a light to someone, to minister to someone, to help them through their struggle, to encourage them, to build them up, to exhort them, to encourage them, and let them know that they're valuable to God? Have you prayed that prayer? Are you coming to church with that attitude? Because let me tell you something, if you're not coming to church, or if I'm not coming to church, I include myself, we're not coming to church in that attitude, then pastors can do the same thing. Come and serve me. We've got to get out of that world. We've got to be in a culture, in a context where we're always saying, God, how can I serve someone else? Because Jesus did it. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The for, that word for means in behalf. To grab a hold of the fact that God is interested in changing us so we can be used to change others. That's the beauty of intimacy. Secondly, here's here's what we want to make sure we understand too. Intercessory, intercession. God wants us to pray and place our priorities in intercession. Standing in the gap for others. Real simple. I want to read a scripture to you before I get to this scripture right here in John 17 through 24. I want to read verses 20 through 23. And Jesus is interceding to the Father in chapter 17 on behalf of his disciples, on behalf of you and I today. This is a prayer for you and I even today. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through this word. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me, Missio Dei, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, unity, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you've sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Meaning saying, I want them to have unity so that they in the world will know that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, and that they will know that they are my people when they have unity. Jesus was praying this prayer to the Father at Gethsemane, crying out and saying, I need you, Father, to make us one so that when we're one, as we're one, that they will be one. And that the beauty of it is that, and he goes in verse 24, you see on the screen, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What beautiful language. What a beautiful love story of love between the Father and the Son. What I mean by love story, not romantic, but a love like a, a beautiful God love that you and I need to have for each other. That's the beauty of God. See, the Jewish rabbis of the first century believed that angelology was a means by intercessory of to God and connection with God. I grew up Catholic church. There were many saints, angels, all thoughts of intercessories and, and interceders. And what we found out and what I found out was that there's only truly one mediator between God and man, and that is the name Jesus Christ. And that there's no angel, there's no saint, because if I had to pray to the saint, and I'm not mocking it, by the way, if St. Anthony's the one who helps me find the things that I lost, I'd be praying to St. Anthony a hundred times a day, because I lose my glasses, I lose my phone, I lose my keys, and I lose my mind. And if I lose my mind, then that's a really bad thing to lose. Because my mind's going this way and my body's going that way. It's crazy. But I'd be praying to St. Anthony every day. And I don't mean to make that in a, in a mocking way, but simply saying that I pray to Jesus. When I lose my glasses, I pray to the Lord. When I lose my phone, I pray to the Lord. When I lose my wallet, I pray to the Lord. And I share that story. So the idea is that that's where our intercessory is standing in the gap. So for me, when God is doing a work in me, just as Jesus intercedes, I want to intercede on behalf of someone else. And I can turn to the Father through the Son by the Spirit who intercedes on my behalf. The Son who sits there as an advocate, as a lawyer, standing there by the judge saying, He's one of ours. Father, hear his prayer. And I'm groaning and I'm moaning and I'm asking God, please, Lord, help me to stand in the gap for my brother or sister in Christ. That's what prayer does. See, we don't stand in the gap for ourselves. We stand in the gap. Lastly, this is what we need to do. We need to be influencers, being led to help others in need. Just like we said in Hebrews 2.18, Jesus was tempted yet he was able to be there and continues to be at our aid and our need. He sympathizes with us in, his, in our weaknesses. But you understand, too, that we have to be careful because the Bible speaks that if we lack prayer, or we don't pray, it's a sin, 1 Samuel 12, 23. And the Bible says to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, to be grateful in all things. Jesus said, this is the will of the will of the Father who sent me is to do his will. That was his food. 
Jesus often prayed when he prayed for his disciples, when he prayed at Gethsemane, when he prayed for serious situations, he would pray. I mean, we just celebrated 40 years of Grace Church, an awesome celebration, really pleased with what happened last week. I was telling the staff this week, and I told the um, men yesterday that if I were here for the first time, I got a great glimpse of the history of this church. And Pastor Dennis and the others, they did a great job. The video was done well, the, all the pictures. But God is the one who did the work, not us. It's not our work. It's God's work. He's faithful to himself. And so prayer takes a people of God, his work, his, his, his word, his, his message out to a world that desperately needs to hear him. But we have to ask the question, what is our priority? What do we prioritize in our lives? Is Jesus at the very beginning of our list? Quality time with him. See, empowered prayer begins with saying, I'm going to set a time, and he deserves this time. He's number one. He's preeminent. He's the creator. I need to spend. See, I'm the created. He's the creator. I think I got this. God's saying, no, you don't. I'm the creator. You're the created. You don't got this. I got this. And God's saying, I want to show you who I am. So I want to encourage you today, as the worship team is coming up, where are you prioritizing Jesus on your list? This is not for a guilt trip. This is not to say um, that some way, somehow, I have to guilt you into spending more time with the Lord. But what is it going to take? So I want to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Maybe it just takes a moment like this morning just to say, Jesus recalibrate my life, realign me back to you. Father, today I pray that your people, all of your people, including myself, I'm convicted to even preach this sermon because, Lord, I know priority needs to start with me as well. God, I pray that you would remind each one of us in this room how important it is for us to recalibrate, realign our lives back to you. Lord, help us to know that as your people, we won't see your hand in your church unless we are praying in dependency on you. So as we leave this place today, let us be reminded how important that is for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The song transitioned perfectly into uh, the segment. When... Um,